Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Daily Objective. So today we will discuss something which is mostly related to people who are already within the objectivist community, so to speak. And we're going to discuss a historical schism that happened within objectivism. So the aim here, at least from my perspective, is not to say, well, that side is bad and we are good. The most important, because you have to draw that conclusion or a different conclusion. What I want to make clear with this episode is to first of all understand what actually happened. Why there are different organizations that promote or claim to promote objectivism? And why is there this, let's say, different point of view? So to discuss this today, we have with us, first of all, my usual co-host, Jonathan Honig. Jonathan, hi, good to have you back to the show. But Thank also, you. we have someone who has experienced, let's say, this schism or these developments as they happened. We have someone who is a historiographer in a way of the movement. And we have someone who is a historiographer also of that side, so to speak, of objectivists. And of course, I'm talking about author James Valiant. So we've had James before. James is the author of Creating Christ, How Roman Emperors Invented Christianity. By the way, he was a guest to ARC UK talking about this topic, and it was one of our best events ever. But also more relevant for this discussion, he's the author of the book, The Passion of Ayn Rand's Critics. And there James talks about Nathaniel Brandon and Barbara Brandon, we had an episode about this a couple of weeks ago. So because the figures of the Brandon are related in some ways to that schism, and this schism, one of its, the one pole of the schism is the Atlas Society. So uh, who is better than James to talk about that? So James, let's start with this basic thing. So why is there a group called Atlas Society? And where does their, let's say, different path within the history of the movement come from? I believe that it fundamentally comes from David Kelly's and several other people's acceptance of a bad portrait of Ayn Rand, fundamentally. It wasn't so much the ideas of objectivism, I think, that got to David Kelly, but the um, building smears against Ayn Rand for being a moralist, for being allegedly intolerant. Uh, this goes way, way back. Uh, Murray Rothbard uh, broke with Ayn Rand way back around 1960. And he wrote smears of Ayn Rand saying that she was morally intolerant, excommunicated people from her movement because of differences over artistic taste. If you didn't like Rachmaninoff, you were cast out from her movement, for example. And this inspired further smears like Jerome Tuchil's, uh, it usually begins with Ayn Rand, uh, published in the late 60s. Again, a fictionalized smear of the allegedly morally intolerant tyrant that Ayn Rand was allegedly supposed to be. And then when the Brandon break happened in 1968, of course, a lot of uh, uh, people who were interested in objectivism didn't really understand that break at all. And so again, it seemed like more evidence of Ayn Rand's moral intolerance. <clears throat> so um, you mentioned David Kelly, let's clarify. So David Kelly was, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the intellectual team, which was around the early days of Ayn Rand Institute. And then at some point in the early 80s, he breaks up from the group or maybe the group breaks up from him. 
based oh, he was on planning. East, <laughs> I was yeah. there at the Jefferson School in San Diego, and people were asking him what his future plans were when he was still associated with the Ayn Rand Institute and those intellectuals. He said, I have big plans. So uh, I believe he was planned, he had, had been in, my, in his mind. And when you read his, the reasons, the rationale he, he published, Truth and Toleration, and then a, a, that was incorporated into a wider book, The Legacy of Ayn Rand, The Contested Legacy of Ayn Rand. Uh, when you read those and th- how he describes uh, the movement in the 1980s, it's very, very revealing. For example, so tell us something said, about Truth and Toleration, because it's a key moment yeah. to understand the later developments. Right. It it sure is. In Truth and Toleration, he makes uh, some wild claims, some factually false claims. For example, he says in 1983, when Leonard Peikoff gave his Understanding Objectivism course, that was Leonard Peikoff on his own opening up the ideology of objectivism. When he was complaining about uh, rationalism, uh, you know, a purely deductive approach, uh, emotional repression, uh, kind of moral intolerance, uh, moral options were opened up, you see, as, as David Kelly. How wonderful it is that Leonard Peikoff, after Ayn Rand's death, opened up objectivism with understanding objectivism. He said, now, get this. Then when Barbara Brandon's biography, The Passion of Ayn Rand, came out in 1986, he said suddenly everything closed down. And that's what caused Leonard Peikoff to retract the openness that he'd uh, begun in 1983 with his course, Understanding Objectivism. Uh, He then complained that no one on the ARI side wanted to discuss, uh, engage with Barbara Brandon's contentions, because of course in her biography, she continues because she perceives herself and portrays herself in that biography, a little bias there, she's a main character in her own biography. She portrays herself as a victim of Ayn Rand's moral intolerance. And so, all that just feeds right into David Kelly's truth and toleration. You see, we have to be morally tolerant in a way that Ayn Rand was not. We have to be open to new ideas in a way that Ayn Rand was not. Understanding objectivism really wasn't, strictly speaking, Ayn Rand objectivism. Uh, but when Barbara Brandon's biography came, came out, then suddenly the walls came closing down and objectivism wouldn't even discuss it. Now, of course, that's so, perfectly ironic because when I came out with my book critiquing Barbara Brandon, I engaged <laughs> from that perspective exactly what David Kelly said that the ARI side was not doing, and they refused to engage with me. So, so and I, I reached out to various people uh, in David Kelly's group, please engage me, David Kelly himself, please engage me. Now, all those premises are wrong that David Kelly said, of course. Understanding objectivism is solid Ayn Rand objectivism. Uh, having looked at the Ayn Rand notes from 1968, I can confirm that. Anyone who's taken Leonard Peikoff's uh, uh, objective communication course knows that the whole rationalism, empiricism syndrome, and so forth, even options and stuff like that, was all worked out during Ayn Rand's lifetime. Uh, And from my uh, reading of Ayn Rand's notes, I can confirm that. That's absolutely the case. So understanding objectivism was merely uh, an accident that it happened a year after Ayn Rand's death. He'd obviously been preparing and planning that for many years. In fact, the whole rationalism thing had been his process of derationalizing while writing the ominous parallels, you know, with the last like 12, 13 years of Ayn Rand's life with her editing it with him. So the first premise about understanding objectivism David Kelly made was wrong. Second so, premise, so it clouds and corrupts his whole understanding of objectivism that something like understanding objectivism is somehow Leonard Peikoff's own twist. The second thing is he, he swallowed whole everything Barbara Brandon apparently said. He said, yeah, it's debatable what she's saying, but no one on the other side's debating it. 
And so what does his group, his organization do? He invites Barbara Brandon and Nathaniel Brandon, who lied to Ayn Rand for many years, lied to the world about the break in 1968, and then smeared Ayn Rand in their uh, later books in the 1980s and uh, early 1990s. <laughs> so he embraced, and his whole organization embraced uh, Nathaniel and Barbara Brandon and all of their smears of Ayn Rand and objectivism. And despite their desire, they said, David Kelly said, to discuss the issues uh, raised in Barbara Brandon's biography, they never once raised a, a little finger to engage with me, even though I reached out to them specifically to do just that. It's not a question of tolerating other ideas. They didn't tolerate mine. It's a question short, of, short not, time of accepting out, yeah. a cliched view of Ayn Rand. And that's where it comes from. Very short timeout, and I'll go to Jonathan in a second. So, again, for our new let's say, followers or new people in the objective. Let's clarify something. So you mentioned that big part of this discussion is the difference between objectives being a closed system, which is what Leonard Peikoff claims, and David, and then Kelly says, no, it's an open system. So here's how I understand this, because this has caused a lot of disagreement. So a lot of people say, if you believe objective is a closed system, then you're a dogmatic or a cult or whatever. So the way I understand this, this is what happens. A closed system means that objectivism is the philosophy of Ayn Rand. It's a philosophical system that Ayn Rand created. Now, you might claim or prove or whatever that this was false, that this needs changes. But if you do so, name it something else. It will be the equivalent, for example, of me saying I'm a Marxist, but I've done some work and turns out the labor theory of value is not correct. So I prove that the correct thing is, let's say, the subjectivist theory of value, but I'm still a Marxist. So this is the critique to the Kelly side. The critique to the Kelly side is, look, you can do whatever you want. You can expand whatever in whatever direction you want, what you, whatever you take from Rand, but call it something else. It's not objectivist. Am I right in understanding that this is the open-closed discussion? You're exactly right. In fact, but, you know, it sort of is a, a, a implicit that there are differences, that there are changes that they want to make, that there's uh, marginal uh, differences that they have with Ayn Rand and corrections they want to make with Ayn Rand. And the implicit assumption is just what I was saying earlier, that somehow Rand was wrong on issues like moral toleration for intellectual differences. And that's what really the, the substance of the debate between Dr. Kelly and Dr. Peacock was, how can you morally judge other people for their ideas, for example. And on that specific issue, they really had a big back and forth because David Kelly believes that objectivism is simply intolerant about other differences of opinion, uh, philosophical opinions. That is out of context, of course, but that's essentially the difference. I was there in Leonard Peikoff's, I, I, I want to add- No, that. please, I'm sorry. I, I was there in Leonard Peikoff's living room the day he finished his response to David Kelly's Truth and Toleration, um, the day he, uh, Fact and Value. Where he I, I'm just sharing that now, Jim. That's actually what I, I brought up on our, our screen now for our viewers. This is Dr. Peikoff's response to, to uh, David Kelly's Truth and Tolerance. Speak a bit about what, he, what Dr. Peikoff had to say about it. Well, the, I was part of a seminar uh, discussing uh, his treatise on objectivism before it was published. We were reading it in manuscript and giving comments every Saturday night. We'd go to his house, but I was all prepared for the chapter. We were going to read that night. He set it aside and he read to us fact and value and very passionately and uh, very intense. He was about it, too. Uh, and uh, it was uh, enormous revelation to me. I must say I learned 
something about objectivism that night. That night, uh, he, he discusses how every value is fact-based, you know, Ayn Rand's solution to the Izzat problem. But he goes further. He says every fact is value-laden. Um, now, add man and it's value-laden. I understood that. But still, it seemed odd to me that every fact should be value-laden. And so I raised my hand. I said, can you explain that to me? And he then went on with his brilliant extemporaneous discussion about how there is no value neutral fact in the universe. Even in the most distant galaxies, there is no value neutral fact uh, in the universe. He then proceeded to discuss how it is that intellectual error really does indicate that something was wrong. It may not indicate something was morally wrong with some evasion took place. It may be an honest mistake, but how often do honest mistakes happen with intellectuals, for example? And this discussion about how you can judge people based on their the ideas that they develop, because after all, Ayn Rand said, our basic, most fundamental uh, uh, free will is our ability to think. Free will is our choice to think or not, to engage our mind or not. Therefore, evasion the way we use our mind or not use our mind is morally significant. It's the beginning of morality, our responsibility with respect to thinking or not. Um, and so he was simply spinning out, I think, what was implicit in objectivism. Yes, under many circumstances, perhaps most, you can evaluate the person based upon the thinking, lack of thinking. If you know enough, if you know the person's context enough, and what's that? How, when is it enough to know that you can judge someone for their ideas, for the way they're using their mind? But it is a moral issue. And it appeared that David Kelly wanted to set aside the entire moral issue. He said it's very rare. We, in fact, we can't know their context. It's uh, our ability to ever judge someone based on their ideology is so insignificant that we really shouldn't do it, in effect. I suppose, he said, in the extreme cases, uh, when someone's really evasive and dishonest and awful, you can judge them, but that's so rare. Let's not judge people based on their ideas, in effect, said David Kelly, at least that's, not most of the time. That's the crucial point here, though. So, and because, in a way, the, the group that is based on David, on David Kelly, the Atlas Society, their different approach is that they are way more, to use his terms, tolerant towards other groups. So, for example, if you go to the Instagram of the Atlas Society, although nowadays, let's make it clear, it's not Kelly's responsibility, but we'll see whether there's, let's say, a philosophical responsibility for that. You can find, oh, it's for his example, responsibility. He set the, he set the agenda. If they're continuing his philosophy, then he's responsible. So you can find, for example, image quotes from Charlie Keir, Kirk, Jeffrey Tucker, Ron Paul. So this idea is that, <laughs> look, we all like freedom, Therefore, why have this, why have this closed system? And actually, I remember when Nathaniel Brandon died, Jeffrey Tucker writes an article that says, good system don't need gatekeepers. Therefore, objective is a good system, leave it open. So Jonathan, here's the question. As a newbie in the movement, so I, when I was very fresh from my transition from March, and I said, and when I saw these institutions, <laughs> well, the Atlas Society are obviously the good guys because we're all for freedom, why not talk to each other? Why not be friends with each other? Is there something wrong there, though? Was I missing something? Well, I mean, Nikos, you, you, you want the real thing, right? I mean, you want objectivism. And I know that many of our viewers today, many of our listeners, you know, they're, they're newbies, as you said. And it's kind of like objectivism for Eddie, 
What we're talking about today is pretty much inside, it's very much inside baseball of the objectivist movements. But you know, if even if you're new to objectivism, in my opinion, you should want the real thing. You should want objectivism, not Jennifer Grossman's spin or David Kelly's spin on objectivism. And you know, you, you mentioned uh, Nikos. Why are there more than one organizations? I hope that there are many organizations now and in the future that support objectivism, that 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 uh, uh, evangelize it. I think the Objective Standard does. I think Prometheus does. I think the Ayn Rand Institute does. But I think the Atlas Society does not. Uh, and for all the reasons Dr. Peikoff illuminated in that very important article. So for me, I mean, as a as someone who's not a, 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 a an academic as you are or a scholar as James is, I think about that wonderful line from the Fountainhead. Where Tui says, you know, Mr. Rourke, we're all we're alone here. Why don't you tell me what you think of me? And Rourke says, but, but I, I don't, don't think I, of you. And that's always been my approach of of the Atlas Society. I don't think of them. I don't follow their work. I'm interested in objectivism. So I read Ayn Rand. I read Dr. Peikoff, and I read organization organizations that don't, for example, associate with libertarians and Nathaniel Brandon, whom Ayn Rand specifically disavowed. You know, even more than that, for me, I think so many of their tactics are quite horrible. Uh, Jennifer Grossman, I think, who leads this organization now, as I recall, essentially wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal three or four years ago, making some ties, if you will, between religion and objectivism. Um, so, you know, to me, objectivism is really what's changed my life. And I want to support and learn from those organizations that promote objectivism, not exactly what you said, Nikos, the open objectivism which is not what Ayn Rand wrote or what uh, in her lifetime or what Dr. Peikoff wrote in his. Okay, so yeah, here's a question now to both of you. Sorry? I just want to amplify what he just said yeah. there. Nathaniel Brandon was a critic of Ayn Rand's philosophy and a dishonest critic of Ayn Rand's philosophy at that, misrepresenting what Ayn Rand said. For them to embrace Ayn, uh, Nathaniel Brandon, for example, is to be critical of objectivism in a dishonest way. And if they don't address that directly, then they're not being honest. Further, David Kelly is, says, I'm different from Ayn Rand in moral toleration. Uh, even with issues like charity, I'm different. Well, that should signal to him that either he's got Ayn Rand wrong or he should call the whole thing something else. It's misleading people as to what objectivism is. When you have Jennifer Grossman doing her religion outreach, her Christianity outreach, Ayn Rand, Thank in her you. very earliest philosophical notes, said, I want to be known as the greatest enemy of religion ever. Mysticism and the supernatural drives a wedge between theory and practice, mind and body. Uh, she, her philosophy is the opposite of Christianity. To the extent that uh, Ms. Grossman says the opposite, she is misrepresenting objectivism. Uh, so to clarify for our audience, Jennifer Grossman is the, is the current CEO of Atlas, uh, of Atlas Society. So can I ask you something both? So again, I'll try, what I'm trying here is it's very easy for me to you know, go patriotic, but what I want to do is try to make clear to the audience what are the differences. So I'll be a bit of, a, uh, of, the, of the Atlas Society advocate, so to speak, again, so as to clarify the difference. So Kelly would say, and he actually said, but hasn't history actually vindicated me? Because, first of all, Ayn Rand never clarified what is in and what is out from objectivism. So she never clarified. So, for example, we wouldn't say that her take on the Vietnam War is the objectivist theory of foreign policy, although the moral principles would apply, for example. Or, in another way, Kelly would say, look, 
doesn't ARI today do stuff with people like uh, Stossel or people who are quotes in the wider libertarian milieu? So he would say, well, uh, aren't we all, to, either we all nowadays open objectivism, and isn't it the case, after all, that Ayn Rand never put particular barriers on her system? So what would be your reply to that? My first reply is that the objection with David Kelly uh, appearing uh, with libertarian groups in the 1980s was not that he was engaging with people we disagree with. It was that he was sanctioning them. Uh, Peter Schwartz's article was not simply saying <laughs> that, okay, he's engaging with people we disagree with. We engage with people we disagree with all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, uh, Leonard Peikoff uh, debated socialists in the 1980s. Harry Binswanger uh, debated Christopher Hitchens. Uh, we, we debate people. In fact, uh, ARI at, the, at Ocon has invited people that they don't agree with uh, to come speak in panels. That was so what's the, the line that makes it a sanctioning, though? That's very important. What's the line that you debate, let's say, Peterson or Varoufakis or a libertarian, so someone not from your milieu, so to speak. Well, At I, what line does it become a sanctioning? Well, I happen to have known the context a little better, too. Again, I kind of lived through it because I worked at Laissez-Faire Books in Greenwich Village in the early 1980s. These people were hardcore libertarians, many of them anarchists. Many of the people I worked with were anarcho-libertarians of the Rothbard School. When Barbara Brandon's book came out, they embraced this group, the Libertarian Supper Club and Laissez-Faire Books, the very groups that David Kelly was going in front of and speaking well of, and speaking well of these groups, they had just embraced Barbara Brandon's book in 1986, when he then shortly appears before this group and says all these wonderful things about them. So instead of researching whether or not Barbara Brandon was something that he should be not, you know, and whether their sanction of Barbara Brandon was something that should cause him pause before embracing them. That's just one example. They also embraced Murray Rothbard and anarchism, and he went to their, it, it, after being invited there, went there, spoke nice, friendly things about all of them without a peep of criticism, criticism. really, of the things that these people embraced or the differences. If you're going to engage with those kind of people as an objectivist, you have to start out by saying, well, obviously we're different, and I'm happy to argue with you about anarchism, Barbara Brandon, anything else. And what know. about the, 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 board, the, let's say, the borders of what is in and what is out of objectivism? So what part is objectivism and what part is Ayn Rand talking about the topic but not considering it's part of your philosophy and just being like an experimentation or try to apply the principles to a topic. Because very Kelly's, Kelly's point of view is the fact that this was never codified means that objectivism is open. Yeah, that is really misleading and dishonest nonsense. Ayn Rand understood the parameters of the subject of philosophy. To say that there's no objectivism as such, is to say that Ayn Rand didn't actually understand what was philosophy and what was everything else. That's nonsense. If Ayn Rand made a philosophical principle, stated a philosophical principle, that's objectivism. Is it a principle? Is it a philosophical principle? That is objectivism. And objectivism is the name, capital O, objectivism, is the name she gave to her philosophy and for the new intellectual. So if we're going to call something capital O, objectivism, it is all of the philosophical principles that Ayn Rand articulated during her lifetime. Real simple. And it is total evasion to think that that's a hard thing to, to peel off or identify. In fact, when Ayn Rand closed up publication of the Objectivist magazine in the late 1960s, she was very clear about that. Uh, clear enough for my satisfaction, objectivism is my philosophy. 
Right. In fact, those, so, those Jonathan. Was available. I'll just say Nico's available. You know, people who are interested in objectivism, there's such a treasure trove of material by Ayn Rand that people aren't even aware of that they haven't even read. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a great example. Let me ask one quick question, Nico, if I can, to, to our guests. You know, again, playing devil's advocate a bit, as I think you, Nico's did, you know, James, uh, uh, the Atlas Society was, I think, in part at least advised on the Atlas Shrugged movies. Uh, those helped sell a lot of copies of Atlas Shrugged. So, you know, again, for the Eddie Willers of, of uh, objectivism, if you will, what's wrong with a society that maybe isn't 100% objectivism, if you will, but if they get more people to discover Iran, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate now, but, you know, what's what's so wrong if it ultimately gets more people, like Nikos himself, to read Iran? Well, see, if you go buy something like the Atlas Shrugged movies, and they just got... It, episode after episode got worse and worse and worse and they misrepresented objectivism in fundamental ways they changed Ayn Rand's actual message in fundamental ways so now if you want to do something like that just to create a sort of neon sign or billboard come read Atlas Shrugged or come read Ayn Rand that's one thing but to do so in in a way that's actually misleading people about what objectivism is is counterproductive it seems to me the very opposite of what you want to do. If you're going to have the big neon sign, at least make the details of that neon sign accurate. If not, you're actually being counterproductive and people will be disappointed who might be been appealed, you know, might've appealed to them in the first place, may feel burned or lied to. And uh, then they don't distrust, then they'll distrust you and won't trust you as a source. So I think that is absolutely the wrong way to go. We and, have to, uh... Just let me say that probably next week we're going to have an episode specifically on the Atlas Rag movies, and then I won't be the quote impartial chair, but I will be the. Anyway, I, I'll, I have many things to say about these movies, but hold back for we're going to discuss this next week. So, okay, some things that are of interest to our viewers. So, tonight we have the third episode of the series, The Philosophy of the Fountainhead. Now, I've read or listened to The Fountainhead four or five times. Having watched the first two episodes, I've learned many things that I didn't realize that were there because this series is run by people like Susanna, by people like Andy Bernstein, uh, Gina Gerling, uh, Josh Dixon. So people who understand objectivism and who understand the psychology. So the, it's very penetrating to the, to the inner thoughts and what's going on in the heads of the characters. So I would encourage people to watch it. Don't say, oh, I know Rourke, I know Keating is a second-hander. No, no, there's so much there to learn. And I'm so thankful to these people for doing this. So that's great work, number one. Number two, next Wednesday in Ayn Rand Center UK meetup, we have James with us and we are discussing fact and value. So again, this is, uh, for people who miss the context, this is the essay of Leonard Peikoff, which is a reply to Kelly's, uh, to, uh, yeah, it's the essay, it's the essay that, uh, that Jonathan is now showing. It's available on Leonard Peikoff's website. So because it's so important in getting a context about this schism, we're going to have James who's going to talk specifically about that. Now, all these things that I mentioned are available in the YouTube channel of Iron Center UK. So please go there, subscribe. It makes a big difference for us, but also for you. Because having subscribed, you get notifications. You see, uh, and also you can find preview shows. Talking about preview shows, we're already in episode three 
of the, of the series The Selfish Lovers that I do with co-hosting with Gloria Alvarez, uh, trying to apply the philosophy because again, we're just students. We are trying to learn, but we bring people who understand it better. So last week we have Lisa Van Damme, uh, Ellen, Dr. Ellen Kenner this week. So there's so much stuff happening with ARC UK. And we're, we're not claiming that we're, again, experts, but we try our best to understand and to bring people who understand it so that this becomes uh, more relevant. And last but not least. I'm a big sorry? fan of Selfish Lovers, I have to say. Great series, very sexy series. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, John. I really appreciate it. So Monday, we have Craig Biddle and Douglas Murray discussing where morality comes from. I don't remember the exact title, but that's basically the topic. So we have one of the most prominent public intellectuals of today with an objectivist intellectual, and they'll have to kind of lock horns on, 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 on where morality comes from. And it's going to be chaired by Gloria Alvarez. So it will be a very interesting show. Having said that, all that, I think it's worth it that you support Enron Center UK by becoming a member and by sharing the stuff that you like, like, share, subscribe. And I'll I leave the last words to Jonathan and to James, parting words. I encourage all of our viewers to subscribe, ring the bell as they say, join us each day and support the Iran Center UK. And we, we're bringing you these truly radical ideas. And you know, Nikos, I think you said it bet, you know, we are students of objectivism. We're learning more every day. We're doing it thanks to to scholars like James and supporting us helps us all learn more, especially in places like Europe. I think where so many of these ideas of individualism are, are absent from the scene. So we're, you know, the leftists aren't radicals. We're the real radicals. So thanks for the support. And thank you, James, for helping us make it happen. Oh, well, thank you, Jonathan, for all you do. And thank you, Ayn Rand Center UK. I'm a big uh, fan of all that you do. And um, yeah, hit subscribe, hit like. Help out if you can. It's, it's very important work. Nothing could be more important. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So more of James next week, more of the Daily Objective next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.